As you take your, as you take your seats, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, another day has passed, another week has passed, and here we are back, able to worship you, which we can do every day, but to come corporately to uh, spend time together, encouraging one another and, and looking into your word, that's, that's what we're created for as, as part of our life, and you've, you've designed us to do this in a place called church. Thank you for these people who've come this morning and uh, who want to hear your word more, who want to understand scripture better. And I pray that as we look at Proverbs again, that it would be uh, clear in our minds how to properly use scripture and how to apply it as you have intended so that you get glory from what we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, this summer series uh, is using the context and outline of Proverbs from a book by Richard Mayhew called Practicing Proverbs. And uh, while the first few chapters provided very specific information on the Proverbs and uh, about them and how to understand them, uh, the current chapters simply list topical items that are covered in Proverbs and then all the verses that tie into them that give insight into those subjects. So all it has is a chapter and a verse. So here's your chapter, and you just get chapter, verse, chapter, verse, chapter, verse. So that's why you've seen a lot of Scripture reading the last couple of weeks. Well, this can be very helpful for devotional times, but it's really hard for a Sunday school lesson, isn't it? It, it is. Um, except for simply listening to verses one after another on a subject. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just difficult for a, this kind of a format. For chapter 7 that we're covering today... I get one of the largest chapters. I think it takes about 25% of the book in here. And uh, there's a lot of material, a lot of subject arraigned in al- alphabetical order within here. Um, it, it's all on personal proverbs. So how to understand personally and apply it to your lives. How do we apply scripture? There's a, uh, there's a broad grouping of proverbs on uh, personal wisdom. It starts with alcohol and anger it goes to subjects like, uh, ends with the tongue and wrath. So you can see alphabetically, it goes through a lot of different things. It reminded me of a resource that Kathy and I have used for years, parenting our children. It's one that we've been recommending in the parenting classes we've taught. It's called Proverbs for Parenting by Barbara Decker. It's been an excellent resource for us. It similarly out- lays out alphabetically issues of life that can be taught to children or actually taught to yourself as you look at it. So, uh, and then it lists scriptures related to them, like, open it up, there's a, a section on boasting. Here's all the Proverbs related to boasting. Complaining, uh, evil speaking, love and friendship, evil planning. That one's got a bunch of happiness, goodness. So it's all arranged in sections, and then each specific item within that. It really helps by providing every one of the scriptures in Proverbs that apply to that. So that's kind of a, a neat little way that, uh, something that we've used over years, and what we're doing today is in a, a very similar manner. It may help many of you. As you go through things like that, you'll see a proverb and say, oh yeah, I recognize that one. That makes sense. I've quoted that one, or I've, I've memorized that one. It's also highly probable to take them out of context if you're not careful when you're doing that. Proverbs 22.6 is a real good example of that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've heard many parents state that they did everything they could in parenting, uh, their, raising their kids in a godly manner, and wonder why the kids are now denying the faith. And so they cling to this verse, or, or they, 
they think that, oh, I have a wayward child, and this verse means that that child is going to come back and return someday. They didn't understand the context of the proverb. So as I looked at these passages on counsel, on foolishness, on violence, health, peace, the heart, humility, love. This is a broad section. This is what I had to teach this morning. Fun. Lying, deception, immorality, plans, desires, ways, pride, priority, serving, listening, testing. Just the gamut was very, very wide. But I saw a common thread that kept appearing as I looked at all these verses that each one would give as reference. They all seem to point in some way back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge in Him, and He will make your path straight. So my hypothesis, if it's true, is for all of life's issues or decisions that we have to, be, have to make, if I can trust the Lord, I will make the right decision. Well, that has a lot of freedom in it to think that way, if it's true. So I ran across an exegesis of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where a guy by the name of Dan Phillips, in a book, God's Wisdom in Proverbs, uh, he went and, and, and took the verse apart to really look at it, to see what it means. And I thought this would help us better understand this. And I'm going to cover a kind of a synopsis of what he found. He felt that this verse is often more misused than used properly in Scripture, as Solomon had intended or as God had intended it, um, and that's who inspired him to write it. Most people, it means something like this. To trust in Yahweh with all your heart is, is to have the deepest feeling of confidence in God, knowing he's going to take care of you, to feel good about God and his fatherly care, to lean not under your own understanding is to refuse to think or analyze with your own mind, to simply wait on God without understanding, to trust that he will bypass my mind and send me leadings or feelings that I'll need in order to handle any situation. Or he will simply control the situation without my needing to be engaged. So a lot of people think, oh, just that's how you do Just trust God and he'll do it. To obtain a more biblical view we have to understand that this is Hebrew parallelism. A lot of Proverbs is written in parallelism. Two verbs are paired here. Trust in line A parallels with lean in line B. So trust and lean, the two of them work with each other. Therefore, the idea of trust is made more specific in the image of seeking and finding support. That's how it is done. One commentator said the original idea of the word trust was the idea of laying helplessly face down or downward. That's what trust is, just absolute trust. We then look at the parallel of unto Yahweh. Give your trust to God, unto Yahweh. In the first line, to unto your own discernment or your own understanding. We're going to do a parallelism and compare those. Well, these are rivals. They're direct opposites to each other, antagonists to each other. One leaves me locked in my own foolishness. The other leads me to the way of God. See the contrast of Yahweh to your own discernment? Solomon has in mind a mental, volitional process, not an emotional reaction. This isn't just an emotional reaction to something. I'm just going to react with motions. So knowing God affects not only our feelings, but our mental understanding as well. Our mental, our mind is made to think on things, and therefore we need to know God. 
we see the term with all your heart added to trusting in Yahweh. I know we've discussed this before, that the heart is not the seat of emotions, but rather the intellect in Scripture. It talks about being our intellect. It's the mind. Taking all the Proverbs in context, do they ever teach that we should wait mystically on God with a passive mind? No, we never see that in Scripture. We're told time and time and again, especially in Proverbs, to learn, to understand, to memorize, and to practice the words of God. If Proverbs is a book of practical warnings and calls to action, why would then he be told to wait mystically in blind trust for God to work things out when the calls to action are related to intensive medical, uh, mental activity and creating skills in godly living? That's what Proverbs talks about is you need to be mentally engaged and work on these skills in godly living. That becomes a natural result of fearing Yahweh. So we must seek, we must analyze, we must do it with great diligence. Otherwise, we should not expect any word or a hint from God. Do we ever see any hint in Scripture that we should not fully employ our minds in every decision of life? No, we're always told we should be looking with our minds. Proverbs 2.2, a son is urged to incline his heart to understanding. In Proverbs 4.23, we see that we are to keep the, faith, keep the heart, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. 6.18 says our hearts devise wicked plans. 6.21, we're to bind God's word in our hearts. This is memorization. Proverbs 7.3 similarly tells us to bind it around the God's word on your fingers so that you will have it nearby at all times. Chapter 10, verse 8, tells us that it is the heart that moves one to learn, to memorize, and obey commands. You go on and on through the Proverbs, and you'll see there's these instructions to take and learn and memorize and study with diligence. We can also misuse our hearts easily. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is stupid, but he who walks in wisdom, he will be delivered. The opposite of trusting in one's own heart is walking in the light of God's revealed wisdom. You can't walk in wisdom without knowing wisdom, without the intellectual activity that goes along with it, analyzing, memorizing, and applying. That's, it comes in a package to do that. Therefore, trusting in one's own heart means trusting in one's own native, inborn, fallen wisdom in defiance of God's wisdom. So you got a, a parallelism where here now there's an antagonism to it. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 talks about the man who trusts in his own wisdom as a plant in the desert, planted in salt. But here's the kicker. As we've taken apart Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, what Steve, Pastor Steve taught us to do, to look at the context, right? We've, we've learned that. Look at the context of the book of Proverbs. We've kind of done that. We've seen it all over Proverbs. Now let's look at the immediate sections before and after or rate the context of Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 4. Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 4, right before this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good 
success in the sight of God and man, then trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You see the tie in there? There's a context. You see Solomon urging the readers to learn, to read, to retain the word of God. Do not forget. Let your heart keep my commandments. Steadfast love and faithfulness, do not let them leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the table of your heart. That's by being in Scripture. You see the difference between leaning on your own understanding and trusting in Yahweh? There's no way you could interpret this, that you're to wait passively for God to move in your life blindly leaning on him. We just don't see that in these passages. You can't interpret it that way. Better interpretation is not to lean on mere human understanding, but trust God enough to study, to learn, and depend on what you learn from him and what you find written in his word. Dan Phillips makes a great illustration. His wife works as an HVAC design engineer for heating and air conditioning systems for large high-rises. And and Dan shares that while she's an expert in this, he knows very little about buildings and about how air conditioning works. He just knows you pump cold air into the building and it gets cold. That's that's his thought. Well, if he went to work as a draftsman, an underdraftsman at the lowest level for her in the same building, and, and he gets some set of plans, he gets to start working on these things, she would give him some instructions and say, trust me. You know, she's going to tell him how to do it and just trust me, do it this way, right? She would say that specifically in challenging situations. By saying trust me, what would she mean? Have good feelings about me? Just sit there motionless while I do the work? Is that what she's kind of inferring there? Have a positive attitude and do what you feel like doing? Or would she rather mean from what you know about me, from what you understand about my character, my qualifications, and my accomplishments, take my word for it when I tell you to do it this way. Follow my directions and my instructions and do what I say. This kind of helps us understand what Solomon is portraying in Proverbs 3, 5. God gives us what he wants us to do. He tells us, well, look at that and trust that, and that will help you understand who God is to trust him in the situation. Okay, that's Proverbs 3, 5. Let's look at verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths, he will make straight your paths. The term ways refers to life's pursuits and undertakings. This is the idea of all of the details of life. No portion is off limits for God. It's all part of his care. So Christ's lordship must mark the believer's behavior at home, at work, when you're at church, when you're at the grocery store, when you're worshiping, all different areas. It's all your ways. The term acknowledge or know him, that's apparently difficult to translate. I don't know Hebrew. It it means more than intellectual awareness, but it's to be involved with and relate to and even to experience. Roughly translated would mean be involved with him, relate to him. And Solomon is saying, if you do this with every area of your life, all your ways is what you're supposed to do this in all areas of your life. Well, Solomon might be remembering the final charge his father David gave him in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. This is what he said. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. That was kind of cool to have a dad say something like that, give you scripture. 
Know God and serve him with your entire heart and mind and being. Dedicate your entire life as a citizen, as a friend, as a co-worker, as a community member, as a child, as a father, as a spouse. This is an extension of the great Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then it goes into the practical aspects. It's just a, a reiteration of that. So putting this verse together here, there's been quite a few views as you look at this whole group together. The first one is like a, a wrong turn. This is a promise of personal guidance, is what some people feel. This is the worst misuse and the most popular, unfortunately. Proverbs 3, 6 is portrayed as promising individual semi-revelatory revelatory guidance in non-moral issues. Just pray and God will show you what to do, who to marry what job to take, what car to buy. Just, just pray, and, and God will do that. Just trust him in it. But here's the problem. The verb here does not mean to guide or to direct. It means to make straight or smooth. The immediate context has to do with walking according to God's written revelation, not finding some fresh new revelation. So you don't turn to this verse as your hope, saying, ah, I'm going to trust God just to deal with this in my life. No, this verse is saying, get into Scripture and trust God because you know Scripture. The larger context of Proverbs contains a total of zero, zero texts directing us to search for some sort of mystical revelation to make life's decisions. Instead, we see God's word, in God's word, the responsibility of wise decision-making and Yahweh's sovereign overruling if we're not going in the right direction. Isn't that what Proverbs is all about? It's giving us a wise context. The second best view is that this is a promise of circumstantial success. I just heard a local preacher on the radio this week say something very similar to this, you know, that you trust God for everything and he'll take care of you. Well, that's, that's a blindness to that. It's basically a promise of success if one endeavors, if in one's endeavors, one walks with God. You walk with God and he'll give you success. They also use Isaiah forty-five thirteen in a similar way. I don't think the text supports this. Just look at Job. Well, Job didn't automatically, he walked with God and it did not guarantee his success. The third option is a promise of moral and spiritual straightness. That's what the straightness is talking about, moral and spiritual straightness. Proverbs is a book of two ways. Solomon does this on a very consistent basis. He contrasts wisdom and folly, righteousness and wickedness, life versus death. And there's many other contrasts we see regularly in Proverbs. He uses various synonyms in each one in the process of showing the differences. So that's why we we just see a lot of different words for the same thing in there. Well, in a similar way, look here at the contrast between straight and between crooked, almost a subcategory of righteous and wicked. To be crooked is to be out of line with God's will. And we see these this type of a contrast in, in quite a few other Proverbs, such as Proverbs 2.15. Men whose paths are crooked and whose are devious in their ways. Proverbs 11.3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. 11.20. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. So you see a, a contrast there between the crookedness. 12.8. 
A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of a twisted mind is despised. Proverbs 21.8, the way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. If you also follow the trail, and there's no pun intended here, of the word path, you follow that one throughout Proverbs, you're going to see a similar reoccurrence. Paths are crooked versus paths that are straight. But none of them, none of them refer to circumstantial difficulties. They're always referencing deviations from God's revealed word. I think that's real helpful. Take Proverbs fifteen twenty one. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. That is a spiritual context. His walking straight ahead is not in regards to circumstances of life to make a decision, but rather a foolish life versus a godly, wise life. Again, in this verse, the word path means lifestyle, behavior, or course of life. So to sum this up, Solomon urges us to know God in every department of our lives. Then he assures us that God himself will make our path straight. We're going in the right direction. We're following after Christ as a result. He's not saying that if we know God, then things will go well for us, as this may or may not follow. Rather, Solomon is urging us that if we have a closer, obedient relationship with God in all areas of our lives, he himself will cause us to have a godly, wise life that is morally and spiritually straight. This is the lens that we have to use for making all decisions. Are we or are we not pursuing God in this? You see the tie-in here? God is not in the business of us being so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. God is not, God will not be compartmentalized or set apart from any areas of our lives. Everything in his business. You can't say, oh, no, that's that's not part of my spiritual life. That's something separate over here. God is, everything is his business, everything of ours. He's interested in how we conduct our lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every room of our house, every street of Bakersfield, every city in the, in the world here, regarding everything he is interested. Dan Phillips stated, a knowledge, this is really good, I thought, listen to this, a knowledge of God that leaves no imprint on all of life is a barren, fruitless, and useless theoretical faith that will neither save nor sanctify. Knowledge of God that leaves no imprint on all of life is a barren, fruitless, and useless theoretical faith that will neither save nor sanctify. In light of that, let's read something like Psalm 1. I mean, you just, just follow this through what you're, you're thinking here. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by a river of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the path of the ungodly shall perish." Doesn't that fit exactly into that context? What wisdom is? It's God knowing everything about us and caring about every part of our lives. So with that introduction, I want to get into some more of the verses on specific subjects as outlined in in our text here. 
related to practical wisdom. Let me first, let me take the first subject men- mentioned by Richard Mayhew in Practicing Proverbs. First one is alcohol. So we're going to go in through a whole broad scope of things here. And there's scriptures that I'm going to have, have you guys look up here, but we're going to look at some of these things. To look at this subject, let's first review the lens that we just created. He said that if we have a close, obedient relationship with God in all areas of our lives, he himself will cause us to have a godly, wise life that is morally and spiritually straight. That's what we're after. So we look at Proverbs to see what it says. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to dry mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Scripture tells us about wine in Proverbs. Well, taking the quote from Dan Phillips, a knowledge of God that leaves no imprint on all of life is barren, fruitless, and useless theoretical faith that will neither save nor sanctify. So let's try to apply that. Can we properly use wine as a means for a closer, obedient relationship with God with all area of our lives? Technically, I think you might argue that you could. There could be some way that it could be used, but I think realistically, it would actually draw you further away from God is what it's telling you there. How would this help us guide us in the proper use of alcohol? Does Scripture state that you should completely abstain? I don't see that. How about leaders? Their accountability, is that different? Proverbs 31, verse 4 through 7. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. You see how Scripture would help us determine personal wisdom in these situations? It gives application for it because of the moral and the spiritual aspect we're pursuing. If you know Scripture, it won't leave you barren, fruitless, and only possessing a theoretical faith. You now can apply your faith through Scripture, to what you believe. You would now have the wisdom from Scripture to trust in the Lord in this area and not lean on your own understanding. By acknowledging Him and what He's revealed in Scripture, you'll see very clearly a direction that is morally straight path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How about the next subject of lying or deceiving? Again, our hypothesis or lens was that if we have a close, obedient relationship with God in all areas of our lives, he himself will cause us to have a godly, wise life that's morally and spiritually straight. Well, Proverbs is full of verses about lying. I'm going to ask a few of these uh, for you guys to look these up. Uh, Russell, would you get Proverbs 4.24? Uh, 
sorry. Jeremy, uh, bring there. Proverbs six twelve. Uh, Steve Engel, Proverbs twelve seventeen. Uh, Zach, Proverbs fourteen five and eight. Can you read that? Proverbs four twenty four. Russell. Good. Proverbs 6, 12, 12. A worthless person is a wicked man because of that which is evil. Verse 17, the same? No, nope, no, no, no. Hang on, Steve. Jeremy, verse 17. Sorry. Yeah. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that practice strife. These are things that the Lord hates. And verse 19, could you read that as well? These are things that the Lord hates. Proverbs twelve seventeen. Give me verse nineteen and twenty. And verse twenty two. And Proverbs fourteen do five and eight, please. That speaks to lying and deceiving. It goes on and on. There's just a little taste of a few of these verses here. I think you get the point. God hates lying. It's pretty clear. But it's not just the big outward lies, but the small deceits it talks about in there. So if we have a close relationship with God, he will cause us to avoid lying. There's the key to answer. There's the key answer to our sin. It's not a 12-step program where we have to report to someone about accountability for lying. No, it's Scripture, and being in a relationship with God is what will drive that. It has to start with a close relationship with God. That's what will cause us to run from anything associated with these sins that so easily entangle us. Here's another subject the Proverbs speaks to. Plans, desires, and ways. Do you want to know what plans you should make? What desires are proper for you to pursue? What, way, where, what ways you should go? We already spoke of this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Well, quite a few of the Proverbs speak about the results of those with wrong and evil desires. But here's a few that give us, help us in, in giving more direction. Uh, Jim, you want to get Proverbs three twenty three? Michael, you're going to get Proverbs 4, 11, and 12? And uh, Steve Wilson, you want to get Proverbs eleven four? And uh, Chad, you want to get Proverbs twelve fifteen? John, uh, Proverbs sixteen one through three. Jeremy, Proverbs twenty verse eighteen. Okay, Jim, Proverbs three twenty three. Think of plans, desires, and ways is what we're looking for. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Okay, what is that? Well, it's, you look at the context. It talks about understanding God's word. Proverbs 4, 11, and 12. Give me verse 26 as well. Okay. These are the ways that we know how our paths are going the right direction, pursuing Christ. Proverbs eleven fourteen, 14, Chad. 
Oh, I have, I'm sorry, Steve. I had that with Steve, sorry. 14. Okay, there's some wisdom. Use counselors, other godly men who know Scripture. Have them interject themselves into your life. Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So you, if you think you have the right answers, that's often when you're being foolish. You need to look at Scripture. If you're setting your plans without pursuing God... I know we've done that teaching our children. Is, is, you know what? You're, you're not heading in the right direction. You're being foolish in your decision because you're thinking in your own terms what is best for you. Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. There's pretty solid scripture. It doesn't take any explanation. Give me verse 9 as well. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Okay. Man wants to go his own direction, but the Lord will establish your steps. That's true. I want to add to that Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. See the the cause and effect there, if you delight yourself in the Lord, you spend your time pursuing God, he will give you the right desires in your heart. You won't have the wrong desires if you're pursuing the Lord. The whole chapter of Colossians chapter 3 talks about this, summing it up in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's where we should be at, is always doing everything in the name of the Lord. That doesn't mean just naming his name. It means, does it align with Scripture, his revealed word? Again, we said that if we have a close, obedient relationship with God in all areas of our lives, he himself will cause us to have a godly, wise life that is morally and spiritually straight. See how that follows? And when it talks about plans and desires and ways, that's the key to proper spiritual pursuits, plans, and desires, is pursuing the Lord. How about our tongue? Here's another one, our tongue. I know Proverbs does speak to this. Can we tr- control our tongue to properly reflect Christ-likeness? Does Proverbs speak to this? Well, we know that James says that no man can control his tongue. It's an evil, uh, uh, what is it, an evil unruly serpent, and it can set on fire entire forest fires. I counted 176 verses in Proverbs that speak to the tongue or lying or listening. That's a lot. Now, we're not going to go look up all of those. Let's look at a few of them. Um, Jason, you want to get me Proverbs 4, verse 20, and then verse 24. Uh, Vern, can you get me Proverbs 6, 2 through 5? Ben, can you get me Proverbs 5, verse 1 and 2? Gabe, Proverbs 8, verse 6 and 8. And let's see who else we got here. Uh, Tim, can I get you Proverbs 10, 8? And Bob Collins, Proverbs 12, verse 14. Okay, so let's start with Proverbs 4. Jason, verse 20 and verse 24. 
devious talk far from you. And that's pretty straightforward. Control your tongue, isn't it? We need to. Uh, Proverbs 5, 1 and 2. Who did I give that to? Ben? Give me verse 13 and 14 as well. See, there's some results to that. Proverbs 6, verse 2 through 5. Vern? Kind of an urgency to dealing with your tongue and dealing with issues, isn't there? This is practical wisdom, isn't it, for personal application? Proverbs 8, 6 through 8. Proverbs 10, verse 8. Hmm. How do you like to be that guy? Uh, give me 10, th- 10 and 11 of chapter 10. Sounds like he's... Rep- How about 18 through 21? This whole passage just nails it. Be 31 and 32. This whole chapter is just filled with the tongue. See a good contrast there, don't we? Verse after verse after verse. And easily we can fall into this lying with small little things. I remember my wife one time asked me if I'd locked the car because she likes to always have our cars locked at night. And yeah, the car's locked, honey. I knew it wasn't locked. Got up in the morning and she found out the car wasn't locked. I lied to her. That was a small little thing. And I had to stop and recognize, you know, I've got a problem with this because I was just too stinking lazy to get up out of bed and go lock the car. I lied to her. This verse, these verses, they hit me. Don't lie, Grant. There's no reason for that. That's just a few of the Proverbs goes into anger, violence, and wrath. Here's some verses on this. A false witness who breathes out lies one who sows, is one who sows discord among the brothers. 
blessings are the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Again, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You want to be hateful, hateful to somebody and having wrath to them? That's what happens. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the expectations of the wicked is wrath. So that's one of the end results of wrath. When you're angry, the, the expectations at the end, it's going to be as opposed to righteousness leading to good. As you study Proverbs, there's a lot of cause and effect, A and B, A then B, A then B, and you can follow them very easily throughout there. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hate, hated. Well, there's a result to that, isn't there? Other people will hate you if you act this way. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quits contentions. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. There's a lot in there about that. Again, we take that filter. If we have a close, obedient relationship with God in all areas of our lives, he himself will cause us to have godly, wise life that is morally and spiritually straight. So in anger, in wrath, in some of those areas, same thing. Counsel. Well, does the Bible say much about counsel in the book of Proverbs? Yeah, all over the place. Exact same issue. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. When you walk they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. Speaking of Scripture. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Where there is no guidance, a people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. There's a lot of verses in Proverbs. That was 11.14 that speak to how to seek counsel and how it will help you. Foolishness. Well, the Bible talks about fools all the time in Proverbs. There's a lot in there. And it goes pages in here of it, just a verse after verse of foolishness. If you're training children, this is a great place to, to bring them, just back to Proverbs, because it speaks so much to these kind of issues. Greed. Is greed an issue in your life? Are you just wanting more and more? Proverbs 11.6, the, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lusts, what they want in life, always trying to pursue something else. Proverbs 25, 16, If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Kind of a gross verse, but what happens? You eat too much because you got greedy. You wanted too much of something. The Bible speaks to this. The leech has two daughters. This is Proverbs 30, verse 15 and 16. Give and give. They cry. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the bare womb, the land that never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough, enough. Speaking about somebody who wants more and more. Scripture's great at these things. So this book can really help you as you're looking at many, many different items here. Wealth. Uh, how to, I'm sorry, health, peace, and well-being. You're struggling with health or you know somebody who is? Go into Proverbs and look at wisdom, what the Word of God says. That will help you to have the right godly pursuits in this. We're not after just getting better from our health. We're looking at what our, our pursuits should be. He will cause us to have godly, wise life that is morally and spiritually straight. We're going to be pursuing the right things. Uh, honor talks about honor. We should give honor in places where it's due. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Talking about wisdom, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Honor will happen to us as we go and pursue wisdom. A gracious woman gets honor and violent men get riches. These are very practical things. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Humility is a whole separate issue here. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So there's just so much in here. Lying and deceiving, we talked about that morality and immorality. Well, there's a lot. The Bible has to say, but Proverbs speaks to it in chapter 5, verse 15 and 20. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Scripture speaks very, very clearly to these things in very practical ways. That's why we're saying this is practical, practicing Proverbs. It really helps us in these ways. I think you get the idea. That's what we're about, is staying in Scripture. Running all of our decisions in life through Scripture, really taking a view of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We said that if we have a close, obedient relationship with God in all areas of our lives, He Himself will cause us to have a godly, wise life that is morally and spiritually straight. That is the key to controlling these areas of our lives. So I hope that helps you see how valuable, how great it is to have Scripture. God uh, wants us to be 100% genuine and honest with Him about all areas of our lives. It's too easy to play Christianity, to think that we're doing all the right things and just go through the motions. Instead, being in the Scripture and understanding it and reading it, listening and applying it, that's what God wants for us, to know how to serve Him properly. May you, bring, may you use Proverbs to be a springboard for growth in your relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, it's, it's so good to know that uh, we can turn anywhere in Scripture and we see you. We see the value that you have in our lives and, and the value that Scripture has. Uh, Proverbs is, is a condensed version of it. And we thank you for putting practicality into Scripture. You're not a God who, who is far from us, who doesn't care about us, who uh, wants to squash us every time we do wrong. No, instead, you're, you're a God of love and grace and mercy and a God of practicality who wants to provide for us um, the necessary tools to know you and to love you and to please you and to honor you and to give you glory. Thank you for your word through Proverbs. May we never forget to stay in your word, to know it, to love it, to memorize it, and to apply it. Uh, Thank you for this morning. In your name, amen.